Welcome to The Light Within, a podcast for anyone seeking to rewrite their life, live in their light, and align with their soul's highest purpose. I'm Leslie Draffin. Join me as we explore spirituality, sexuality, wellness, and the magical world around us. Hello, beautiful beings, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Light Within podcast. Today, I am so excited to talk with my guest, Lily Shepard. She is a sensual embodiment specialist and a personal coach who lives down in Austin, just a little bit from where I live. And today, we have a juicy conversation about pleasure, dance, turning yourself on, and really loving and accepting yourself. Lily talks about her history as a dancer and how she morphed into a sensual embodiment specialist. We talk about pleasure as a pathway and foundation of life, stigmas around pleasure in communities of color, body positivity, her signature SAS method, setting boundaries, shadow integration versus shadow work self-love versus self-acceptance, and how using dance can be a tool for self-turn-on. Lily was born and raised in Rochester, New York, and she holds a bachelor's degree in dance from SUNY Brockport and is a member of the American Dance Therapy Association. After spending 11 years in Las Vegas, where she danced alongside Beyonce at the Billboard Awards, was cast as a member of multiple productions on the Las Vegas Strip, and danced at the world's largest gentleman's club, she is now one of Austin's most sought-after embodiment coaches. By hosting workshops at various studios as well as online and facilitating corporate events, Lily puts dance at the forefront of the conversation on healing and whole body wellness. And I was introduced to Lily's work through a co-worker, Crystal, so please enjoy this juicy conversation and help me welcome Lily to the Light Within podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So the first question is, what ignites your light within? Movement, most definitely. That's when I feel uh, most at peace and when I receive the most insight and when I just feel joyful. And so what's your background with movement and with dance? So I've been dancing... 36 years. It's, it makes me feel old to say it. But um, I, I started dancing at four. Uh, I went to a performing arts high school as a dance major, uh, majored in dance in college, and then started my professional career in Las Vegas. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. So you really have been committed to this your whole life. Yeah. That's awesome. And so how did going from you know, being in Las Vegas, morph into what you do now? That's a great question. Um, Las Vegas was a very interesting time for me because I was mixing the worlds of professional dance and exotic dance. So I, there was a time period there where I was doing both, um, which was very interesting. And so that is kind of how the work that I do now was born. Um, Combining the more uh, erotic and sexually expressive with actual, you know, with what I know about movement in the body and dance training and putting together something that um, 
brings together all of that knowledge. Mm. And so describe for me what it is you do now, because I've seen what it is on Instagram, but for folks who haven't, what is it that you are doing in your life path? So I'm a sensual embodiment specialist. And what that means is I'm helping women to understand first what embodiment is um, and and secondly, how to get in touch with their sensuality through movement. So movement is kind of the the vehicle that I'm using to help women explore their their sensuality and their sexuality. Mm. And is it something that you find is hard for women? Absolutely. Uh, I started doing this kind of work. When I first moved to Austin, I was just strictly teaching dance classes, just like dance fitness and choreography, you know, come in and learn a cute routine and then go. But what started happening was I was staying after and getting into conversations with women that were, I could see their transformation during the class. And then they would tell me just how much moving in that way released something for them or or opened something up for them. And I started thinking, like, I want to combine just this movement with some deeper understanding um, that women can can access and kind of more insightful and in tune because these conversations were going on and on and on. And it was like, wow just from moving your body in a way that made you feel empowered and good and that you might not have done, all of these things are coming up. Like, what can I do to kind of not stop it there and to keep the conversation going? Mm. What do you think as far as the movement of the body was actually letting these women awaken? What was it about being in their body that was helping them feel you know, more alive? I think being able to move in a sexual way without feeling judged at all is major. Um, I think that there's a lot of shame around moving in that way and around uh, being prideful in your body and, and having overwhelming confidence. A lot of women just are not comfortable with those feelings. And so when you can do that, in a supportive environment where it's not about the male gaze or it's not about women judging each other, but everyone is truly there to support, that's where it starts getting magical. Mm. Oh my God. I love that. And so when you're dancing in these ways and you're seeing these women light up, what does that do for you? How does that make you feel? It makes me feel like I'm living in my purpose when I see that, because that's the whole point of it is to inspire that feeling. Um, and so to know that women have a space where they can do that and feel free, and I'm seeing them at their most energetic, enlivened place is really special. Mm. And it feels like it's probably something that makes them feel so powerful as well. Do you see pleasure as a way to living in your power and dance as a way to help you live in your power? Absolutely. I think that it's powerful because we often don't realize how many choices we're making 
out of fear or out of stress or suffering um, versus what we actually desire. And so I think when you're able to tap into your pleasure center and live from that, your decisions and how you view life starts to change. And you definitely feel much more empowered just from the smallest choices to, you know, what you're eating, who you're hanging out with. People think that uh, pleasure is this huge undertaking and it has to be big and grand and luxurious and sexual. And in reality, it doesn't necessarily have to be any of those things. Mm. And so what do you think at the most basic level pleasure is all about? And how can somebody start tapping into that more on a daily basis? Hmm. I think being led by desire we we just ask ourselves so much, well, what don't I want to happen? You know, and it's like we're moving from a place that we're trying to avoid rather than gravitating and going towards what it is that we actually want. So I think that pleasure is joy. I think pleasure and joy are in- interchangeable for me. Um, And I think that when it comes to finding those moments, it's first being able to identify what that is. So many women that I work with, when you ask, well, what brings you pleasure? There's a wall of silence for a really long time because it's something that they've never even considered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Because I've been in that wall of silence before, because I think we've got all this programming and especially if you grew up in uh you know a christian household or religious family where pleasure was bad pleasure was dirty um it was wrong and now it's just for me learning that even just a really good cup of coffee can feel like pleasure um the way that some clothes feel on your skin it doesn't necessarily mean you're in the bedroom having sex or some kind of an encounter that's more of a sexual nature it can be every single little thing in life that then makes you feel more joyful more in pleasure yes yeah, something that we're not taught anything about as women it's it's really about obligation duty responsibility caretaking nurturing And those are the things that hold significance. And so we're kind of taught that pleasure is the thing that maybe, just maybe you get to after you do all of these things. Yeah. It's like the goal. And you speak a lot about how it should be the foundation. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Just what we were talking about a little bit is the idea that there is a checklist that You don't get to have pleasurable experiences or experience joy until after you have completed your task and your obligations to your family, to your community, to whoever. And when you make pleasure the foundation, you're making space for it in your life alongside of all of those things. And what that does is allow you to show up more fully And I feel really powerful and really strong about that because 
there's this messaging that it's selfish, you know, and there's this idea. I know sometimes even I look at my own Instagram and I'm like, people must think, (laughs) you know, I'm just like this self-indulgent hedonistic person that is always in silk and with champagne and taking bubble baths. And, and I can see how from the outside looking in, the idea of pleasure as a pathway to power and making it such an integral part of your life can seem self-serving. But in actuality, I'm so present for the people that I love. And I feel like I'm a better wife, a better mom. I just have more to give because I'm taking really good care of myself. Mm-hmm. One of the posts on your Instagram recently was something to, it was a list of like five things. And it was, it was basically talking about, you know, sometimes we don't feel like we should feel pleasure when these other things are going on. And I think one of them was when someone else is in pain or, or something else is bad happening in the world with the pandemic that happened over and that's happening, I should say, we're still in it. Have you seen people reach out? for these more pleasurable experiences? Have you seen people realize they've got to do something? Absolutely. It's been really isolating for a lot of people. And I think it's been great in the sense that it's caused people to to take note of the pleasurable things that they can no longer do. And so it's kind of an awareness that's there now because of the pandemic. But there's also that that guilt and shame feeling of like, well, how can I seek out pleasure when people are getting sick, people are dying, people aren't able to work, and we take on this collective feeling of suffering when a lot of times we don't realize that it can be the opposite. Seeing people in their light and seeing people joyful, it often rubs off and it often inspires people that maybe are going through a dark time. And so people don't realize when you kind of hold your light and your joy in for fear because you don't want to upset someone else that may not be in that space, you're actually holding back what could very well help them. Absolutely. And I think just with more so than the pandemic, the things that happened with George Floyd, the things that happened with, you know, all the protests, especially down in Austin, the stuff that got super, super violent. Um, Do you think that that has at all made people a little bit like, I need to take more pleasure in everyday things just because, you know, life is so precious? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I think people of color, especially, um, I think that, I speak to all women, but I often use hashtags about, you know, black women in luxury mm-hmm. and black and feminine because I feel particularly for black women that a pleasure lifestyle is something that we've been taught is not for us, mm-hmm. right? It's for the privileged, the rich, the white, the slender. And so there's almost a stigma in the community, you know, of who, of, you know, bouginess or or whatever you want to call it when black women aspire to have a certain level of pleasure in their lives. That's different. Um, 
so in this work, it's been interesting to find my lane because I, I realize there are not a lot of women talking about this that look like me. There are, but not nearly as much. And when you type in things like luxury lifestyle or living in pleasure or things, the imagery that you see is often associated with money, with whiteness. And I think that it's important to speak about that because that's Mm -hmm. a really big part of what I do also, because I know what it's like to kind of feel like uh, you're not, you're not included in this conversation as a Mm -hmm. black woman. And also I think what I really liked about the things I see on your page and your message is about the body positivity about the fact that you don't have to look like, you know, some supermodel or, you know, have the, the Kardashian body to love your body and to be beautiful and sexy as hell. Do you think that that's something that you've had to work on a lot with the women who are your clients about accepting themselves? Yeah. And I, it's because I've had to work on it myself mm-hmm. and it's, it's a, it's a continual work in progress, uh, growing up as a dancer, dysmorphia and body image issues, you don't really get out of that world. I should say there are very few people that make it out of that world with no issues around um, the body and body perception and body image. So it's easy for me to identify in women, even if they're not vocalizing it just in their body language um, and and what they're, you know, just, and in small things, a lot of women, we don't realize that we are constantly downplaying ourselves in the smallest ways. Oh, well, I don't do this. I, I don't show my stomach or yeah, well, when I, I got this outfit, but you know, 10 pounds, we say these things offhandedly and keep affirming them without even realizing that we're doing it. And so I try to stop people dead in their tracks when I hear it. Like, hold up, girl. (laughs) Wait a minute. You know, I don't, I used to be like that. Well, when I lose this, I'll do this. Or when this looks this way, then I'll feel this way. And it's really liberating to be at a point to just be in the body that I'm in and realize that I'm going to experience life to the fullest regardless. Mm -hmm. What are some of the tools that you teach your clients to kind of get them to to accept that part or to get them to say yes to feeling pleasure every single day, um, dancing, things like that? Well, part of that is the SAS method, which goes over the different ways to do that. And so I found, and the reason that I've called it the method is because it's the method that has that has worked for me. And now I'm like, oh, okay, I've tested this and I've seen it work for other women. And within that, our first personal vows, that's the first thing that uh, the SAS method addresses is making a vow, a soul vow to yourself because we make commitments and promises to employers, to spouses, uh, to HOAs, you know, all of these entities. And 
we don't have anything binding or anything even in writing that honors how we're going to treat ourselves. So that's first. And then we talk about adornment, which is just beautifying yourself, but for the purpose of feeling wonderful and not for attention, validation, or anything like that. Um, and then boundary mapping is is another step, which is how to actually create and maintain boundaries. Because I think it's a really popular thing now, like set your boundary and hold it, but no one really explains how and how to do it with not everyone is the same. So you can't treat every situation the same. You have to know how to, who you're dealing with and how to, how you set that boundary might be different from how you set another one. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's shadow integration, which is integrating, not work. I don't like shadow work as a term mm-hmm. because I think it just implies this is something you have to work on. And I prefer there's energy, there's really good energy and magic in that shadow side. And so how can you integrate it into your everyday life rather than treating it like some stepchild in the corner, you know, that needs work. Um, And so then the pleasure pathway, which is going through with, with women and actually what is your path? What is your strategy? We can say all of these things in, in general terms, but where is your calendar? I need you to create a list of your pleasurable activities. And as I said earlier, you'd be surprised how long that wall of silence. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had a woman that we had to go back and talk about it because she was like, I really just don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here with this pen and paper. And every time I go to write something, it has something to do with someone else. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it when I am take the kids to the park. When, when my husband and I have a great night of lovemaking and those, yes, those belong, but I'm talking about just you, you know, and it was really hard for her to come up with pleasurable activities that she enjoyed that didn't have anything to do with anyone else. So mm. making an actual strategy, first finding the things and then strategizing how to incorporate them into daily life is is the last tenet of the SAS method. And I think, first of all, all those tenets are great. Thank you for creating this work. I mean, that is amazing. The personal vow to yourself, I had not thought about that. I am a new homeowner. So yeah, we have an HOA that we're like, sure, we'll cut our grass. Every, and it's a little thing, like we'll cut our grass every how many, every week or something like that. But that's a small thing that is somewhere in paper. I can't even sometimes make myself sit on my meditation cushion for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes in the morning, even though I know how much better it'll make me feel. And I also really like the the phrase, the shadow integration. Um, I think the past year has shown a lot of people their shadows, has shown the world its shadows. And as good as I think that can be, because we have to know that that is a side of us, you know, the light within is the name of this podcast, but it's also implying that there's a shadow within you as well. And to me, when I think about, okay, I need to do my shadow work, it feels oppressive. It feels negative. It feels real 
real shitty. But the just the little phrase that you use, the integration to me, man, that makes it feel doable. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the thing. And it should be doable and it should be something that's explored and Mm -hmm. accepted. Instead of like, I have to make peace, I have to make my peace with this part of myself. That doesn't sound right to me, you know, and, and when I speak about acceptance, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, Self-love is great. Yes, love yourself, but it feels like a giant undertaking if you don't first accept all facets of yourself, because I, I don't always love my stomach or I don't always love certain behaviors or quirks or things that I have that I do. I don't. And I, I, and then I feel bad because I'm like, I'm not loving myself, you know, when, but I accept them fully. And that makes me feel much better. And I feel like I'm on the path to love. Maybe Mm -hmm. one day I will love them. Maybe one day I'll love everything about me, but I accept everything about me and that feels really good. Yes. And that is another thing that I wanted to ask you about is why focus on the self-acceptance versus self-love? Is the self-acceptance first? I believe it has to be because we're dealing with a lot. We have trauma. We have ideas imprinted onto us that aren't even ours we we have government dictating religion dictating our upbringing people old stories all of these old stories about ourselves and to just bypass all of that and say okay i'm just going to love myself no matter what i think that's like i said a really big undertaking and i think first being able to look at yourself and say Okay, I might not love all these things right now, but I'm choosing to accept myself as I am. I'm choosing to not be harsh with myself, to judge myself, to feel ashamed about things that I might not be proud of. I'm in acceptance. And that to me feels more attainable than self-love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Why is it that you think everyone needs to have this healthy expression of sexuality, of pleasure? Well, sexuality, I mean, it's important. It's important. And that feeling of being turned on, of being aroused, of feeling good it can exist out of the bedroom. And I think that when we're taught that our sexuality is this thing that is only to be expressed, you know, at night, in the bedroom, in lingerie, with the partner, like all of these things on it, and it gets really boxed in. And when you want to express that, outside of those confines, then it feels 
a little shameful or you're not sure or it doesn't feel right because you're, you know, that you've been taught that it only belongs in this certain way. And so I feel like to be able to express it feels very liberating and, and not, and to know that sexual expression doesn't necessarily mean having sex or have doing, performing a sexual act. Or that you just want to have sex with everybody. Right. Right. It's, I mean, being a sexual being does not mean you're just open for the world. And I think, but a lot of, a lot of women think that they're afraid mm-hmm. to express that part of them because they don't want the judgment or there's an idea that says if you're a sexual being and you put that at the forefront, it's visible to people, then people won't take the rest of who you are seriously. Mm-hmm. People will make assumptions about your intellect, about your ability as a parent, about your competency, about how you got to any level of success that you are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women kind of shut it down because they don't want to be perceived in that light. But I speak a lot about you. It's, you're multidimensional. You can be this and that. And I think it's a high price to pay to stifle your sexual spirit in the hopes that someone will view you the way that you want to be viewed because people are going to view you how the hell they want anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the work that you do with the dancing and with helping women find pleasure in you know the more mundane tasks of life then helps them turn on their sexuality again because I think for a lot of women myself included that's been something that I turned off I was like all right hit the ground running I need to do this this and this to succeed in my job and like the young 20s were like my time when I was more in my maiden and just you know in my more sexual expression the college years you know are the tools that you teach about self-acceptance, dancing, and pleasure the ways that we can turn on our sexuality again? Yes. Yes. Dancing, anytime you're moving your body, you're you're allowing kind of spirit to take over. You're not thinking. Free movement is so important because it allows you to get in tune with sensation in your body. And that's a big part of what gets cut off. I mean, when women go through spells where they're not having sex, sex doesn't appeal to them, they don't want to deal with it. Those sensations that were once really pleasurable now feel annoying and like, ugh, get off of me. Like you don't even want it. And so moving your own body helps you to get back in tune and to start thinking about, well, I remember when this used to feel good or when moving my body in this way, it it opens up a different world than just when you sit and think about it. Mm -hmm. So it definitely, and then the pleasure, I feel like the more you're receiving pleasure, the more you want to give it. So if you're integrating pleasure practices into your life, even in the smallest of ways, it's only natural for you to then want to pass it on. 
you know, and to, and to your partner, you're, because you're feeling so good, you know, and then it's like, well, what can I do for you? You know, let me, you, that feeling of light and of joy you want to see in someone else. So whether it's your partner, a friend, I've noticed for me, I've become much more of a gift giver. And I wonder, like, I think this has some correlation because I'm not to say that I was a bad gift giver, but I was just never that person that would pop up with random gifts. You know, of course, birthdays, weddings, things, but I feel much more in tune with like, oh, this for this person, this would make them feel really good. I'm going to get this. And I think it has a direct correlation of now I'm doing that for myself. And so I'm able to see how it's impacted my relationship with other people. Mm -hmm. Not just my husband, but like my, my girlfriends. Yeah. I think you were just speaking exactly to me, by the way, (laughs) when you were talking about the, the things that just used to feel nice, feel annoying as shit sometimes now. So I'm going to start dancing more and and following this method for sure. What else do you want to share? Do you want to share about some of your other offerings? I mean, where can people dance with you? Yeah, online. You can dance with me at Lily's Movement Playground. So I'm super excited about this playground that I've created. And it's been a long time coming with the pandemic and finding ways to still facilitate movement for people without being able to meet in person, because that was a major part of my business model was in-person classes and workshops. So the Movement Playground is has on-demand classes. Uh, and I, I hesitate to call them classes because it's really about exploring movement. Mm-hmm. I don't want folks to think like, oh, it's a dance class. Let me get my leotard out and and my leg warmers and I have to learn this choreography. And there are some tutorials there, but it's really about being guided uh, through movement exploration, there's twerk lessons, there's sensual movement, there's some dance fitness, cardio stuff, and also some of the non-movement workshops are on there as well um, on bad bitch energy, on boundaries, and kind of all of the things that are under this umbrella. So it's a it's a place for where the inner work and the kind of physical practice can can combine. And my goal is for it to become community Um, for, I do a live class, a live stream class uh, if you subscribe to the playground and I would like to just see that community start flourishing because that's the main thing that I miss about in-person classes is just having a bunch of different women from everywhere getting together and hyping each other up and making connections and going out for coffee after then they come back three months later and they're like best friends and they met at my class and it's it's awesome it sounds awesome and do you find that you're still able to hold the space for women in these online situations I know a lot of people who I've spoken with in the beginning of pandemic they maybe struggled with being able to hold the space through, you know, the internet, the interwebs. But now it's kind of like, okay, we understand. We're able to to feel it. Absolutely. I had huge resistance to doing things online. And that's why it took so long to 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 create the playground because I honestly 
I felt like this, this is energetic and I can't feel it over Zoom. I just can't. I won't. I tried to take a few classes from instructors and but I had already kind of made up in my mind that this sucks and I hate it, to be honest. <laughs> I, I didn't really give it a fair shake because <laughs> I had already made my mind up. But what I found is there are certain things that I like about, I like seeing people in there. There's a certain comfort when someone is in their own natural habitat, right? Like they didn't have to come out and get dressed and do all this stuff to show up as whoever they want to show up as. They're kind of, there's a comfort level. Mm -hmm. And I offer sensual movement packages as well, like one-to-one online. Mm -hmm. And really in those, what I notice, and women have told me, if this was me coming to a studio, I would have been so much more nervous. Mm -hmm. I would have you know, I, it would have taken me longer to kind of come out of the shell, but because I'm at home, there's no one else here. It's just you and I, it feels more intimate and they were able to get more out of the lesson they, Mm. they said. So I think I'm with it now. It took me a long time to get, (laughs) to get here, but I'm with it. And you also do your, is it a, uh, an academy or there's a course that you are teaching as well through the summer? Yeah. So the SAS method, that's a six-week program that goes over all those tenants that we talked about. And uh, it includes live movement classes as well uh, every two weeks. And also we get together on Zoom once a week. And so it's really about... Um, sisterhood and going and exploring all these concepts, but with other women and being able to share experiences and really put this methodology into practice because there's homework and you have to actually do the things. And that's what I love about the SAS method is you can read, you know, books and do affirmations and but if you're not actively participating every single day, all of that gets lost. And so the SAS method is about really being deeply connected to the work with other women for six weeks with the hope that after that amount of time has passed, you kind of have got yourself on a flow of, okay, this is how I'm actually living my life. This isn't some book I read uh, read and put down or a class that I went to once that was really fun and then I never went again for six months. But this is a stepping stone to creating that actual life for yourself. Mm. Wow. Is there anything else that you want to share as far as awakening pleasure in you or tapping into sexuality before we go? Have orgasms, people. (laughs) No, really, really, because we don't talk enough about the magic that's in there Mm -hmm. with a partner, for yourself. There's so much creativity there and there's so much joy that can be there. I mean, this might be TMI, but sometimes like if I have an orgasm, when I just start laughing, uncontrollably laughing, 
it feels so good. And I never know like what experience, am I going to laugh? Am I going to cry? Am I going to be depleted? Am I going to be energized? I don't know, but it's always something unexpected. And I'm not a person, it takes a lot to make me laugh. You know, I'm not a giggler. I'm, you know, I'm takes a lot. So to laugh uncontrollably like that, I'm like, wow, that's really special. So mm-hmm. I think that I want to give permission. I said that to say, if you need permission to prioritizing having orgasms, here it is. You definitely should. It's important. Mm-hmm. And and not only to have it, but to have it and capture that, you know, and take that energy into whatever else you got going on. Yep. I heard something this week. We're all the product of an orgasm. We're basically walking orgasms. Wow. So basically, if we think about that as in our entire existence comes from that, maybe that'll inspire people to have more. <laughs> right. And to have more and to not judge them. Some are big, some are small, yes. some are, the, you know, to, to just really have them in the way that you have them and feel great about it. Because that's a whole nother topic for another day of like... Mm-hmm. There's all kind of craziness out here of these are the real orgasms. If you're having an orgasm this way, it's not real and you need to do it this way. Or, you know, and I'm like, really? Are we like orgasm shaming now? Are we telling women like their orgasm isn't valid because it didn't come in a particular way or it, they didn't scream or, yeah. or they didn't cry or it's ridiculous. So, yeah, have your orgasm the way that you have it and, and enjoy. Yes. Where can folks connect with you online? Uh, Lily Shepherd Moves is my website and also on Facebook and Instagram at Lily Shepherd Moves. And I will put links to your Lily's Movement Playground. That sounds like so much fun. Links to your Instagram and your Facebook and website in the show notes as well. Lily, thank you so much for talking to me about all of this today. Thank you, Leslie. This was fun. This was so much fun. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode and this conversation with Lily. You can follow her on Instagram. I'll also put a link to her website in the show notes. Also follow me on Instagram at Leslie Draffin and at the Light Within Podcast. Email me at the Light Within Podcast at gmail.com. And if you love this podcast, the best way to support it is to download it, rate, review, and share with someone you love. Remember, there's no light without dark. Darkness, but there's no darkness without light. I'll see you next time.